Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Woman in Compliance podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. I'm Mary Shirley, and today I'm pleased to shine a light on Wendy Wysong. Wendy is an example of this, the impact that someone can have on you, um, and many years can pass and the impression still remains. Wendy and I have never met, but when I was not long an expat living in Singapore, I attended a conference and Wendy was speaking on the panel. I don't much remember what she was talking about that day, probably something to do with FCPA updates because I was voraciously interested in those. Um, But I do remember thinking, wow, this woman's got chops. She's very impressive. And years and years later, as I was putting together my uh, agenda for upcoming podcasts, I remembered Wendy and I knew that I wanted to have her on our show. So Wendy, um, I hope that comes as somewhat of a compliment to you that you left Um, a wonderful mark and I'd like to welcome you to the show and ask you to uh, tell us about yourself. Sure well thank you so much Mary. I I had no idea I'd made an impression. Usually I talk (laughs) at those conferences I feel you know like I'm I'm making a bond in the moment and then it goes but um, (laughs) that was one of my favorite things though was to be able to just travel to Singapore and talk with um, folks who are interested in compliance travel all around the region. Um, I'm based in Hong Kong. I've been here for about, well, well over 10 years. Um, Switched a couple different law firms, um, but doing the same thing that I I truly love is helping companies understand what the law is and how to comply. And when mistakes are made, helping uh, represent and defend them uh, and their actions uh, before the U.S. government. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And so um, I I guess many of our listeners, we have a very large American base, are uh, stateside. So what's it been like being based in Hong Kong during the the pandemic? Well, you have to remember, uh, you know, we had to adapt to COVID um, and remote working a lot earlier than the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. We were early adapters of conference calls, masks were on immediately, um, but the pandemic impact has really gone on a lot longer than the rest of the world. And it's it's very harsh. You know, we can't travel easily, not because other countries don't want us to travel, but because when we come back, we have a three-week mandatory quarantine um, on our return. So it's it's very difficult for us to travel to other countries to be able to uh, really build the practice and, and talk the way that, that we used to. Um, and meet face-to-face. Um, so everything we do has to be planned ahead very, very carefully, every part of every investigation, every visit. And so, uh, you know, I'm trying to make sure that that we can accommodate uh, other people's schedules and build in that three-week quarantine. Mm. And I think investigations was one area where a lot of compliance professionals immediately panicked when we went into to lockdowns, thinking, oh, how are we going to conduct our investigations remotely. So I'm curious to know what adaptions have you made to conducting investigations with less ability to travel? Well, I mean, the the obvious one is, you know, you can't conduct them on site. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, and I've, I've, I've tried to look at 
how we typically go through step by step every investigation um, has you know routine steps that you want to follow and it's what the government um, when they're looking at your internal investigation it's what they expect to see and it's it's funny because all of us have done you know exactly the same thing you know where you, since you can't go on site you can't go and actually physically collect documents you know we've we've worked with all of the forensic companies to make sure that they've absolutely adapted their methodologies to get documents um, you know and upload them electronically but the two wrinkles are that one of the main things we used to do is get laptops you know and get phones and copy those well, you don't know where those laptops and phones are because they're not in the offices anymore. And, you know, tracking down people in some very remote areas that have their, they're working remotely, they're nomads, and finding them and finding, you know, a forensic company that can uh, adapt to uh, to that and show up on some beach and, and grab somebody's laptop and, and get a copy. That, that was one kind of funny thing that, that, we had to think through very carefully and explaining, you know, that that um, they still are obligated uh, to do that. Um, the other thing is interviews uh, and, and conducting them. And now we have checklists, you know, and making sure that when you talk to folks, you know, you, you can't really build the rapport that you used to when you're when you're doing an interview. So you have to figure out ways to make them feel comfortable. You have to look very carefully at the surroundings that the person is, is doing the interview in. Because, you know, they, some people can come into the office, but others, you know, we're, we're interviewing them in their homes or in, you know, a remote location. You have to wonder about who else is there. You know, is it secure? Can we preserve confidentiality? Are they comfortable? Um, you know, how are we going to get a translator there if we need a translator there? Um, making sure the equipment works, you know, and doing all the run-throughs because, you know, here it is two years past, and I can't tell you how many times we have to say, you know, you're on mute, you're on mute, you know, that kind of thing. That still is just a, a standard, standard uh, phrase. So, mm -hmm. you know, I guess, you know, for me, the hardest part is just not being able to really um, – take visual clues from people mm -hmm. the way that you can when you're face to face, mm. um, you know, you can't show documents. You know, we've got to all be experts on sharing our screen and going through and highlighting documents like that. You don't want to send the documents, you know, to the witness ahead of time. Anyway, so it's all these things. Um, and then I, I, I tell folks that, you know, you just add two months to every, yeah, estimate of how long it's going to take, um, you know, because you can't just show up and just call people up into the office. You have to arrange for folks to be there. So, And then have, like, plan B, plan C, plan mm -hmm. D. Hopefully you don't get to that um, on how you do everything. So I guess that's, that's you know, just planning and planning and then mm -hmm. planning again. So reassurance to our audience members who are conducting investigations, if you find that you're going over your usual average in terms of duration and length, don't be too worried. That's kind of normal right now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. So 2021, um, when I was preparing the um, outline for you and, and we were having our preliminary discussions, at the time, I prepared a question for you, which was about how quiet 
2021 has been compared with 2020 with respect to compliance program and FCPA guidance coming out of the US government. Um, and then since we were talking, uh, there has been the um, Deputy Attorney General Monaco discussion at the um, ABA White Collar Crime Conference. Um, so I wonder if I could get you to opine on uh, some of the interesting stuff that you thought came out of that. I know for me, um, I paid particular attention to monitorships being emphasised Um frequent flyers should start to get nervous um, and, and probably rightly so. It's not a good look to um, have multiple issues going on across the years. So not a huge surprise that that's in there, a removal of the default presumption of no monitorships. Um, but I think you found some other areas of interest. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Sure. You know, I, I, I don't want to say same old, same old, um, but, uh, you know, the, I think every time they go through sort of a lull mm. in enforcement, particularly in FCPA enforcement, mm. you know, right out of the box, the first thing that they say at the conferences mm. is we're putting more resources into it. Mm. You know, there's going, I think this year the phrase was there's a surge of resources <laughs> um, that are going to the FCPA, they're going to export controls and sanctions, you know, mm. we're going to see an increase in enforcement. Um, and, you know, whether or not that really bears out, I think, mm. is remains to be seen. But I guess for me, one thing you know that that has happened because of the pandemic and because there's been this lull, which I think is largely because you know it's difficult to on the other side, when I was a prosecutor, it's very mm-hmm. difficult to do remote investigations. If we think it's hard on our side, <laughs> it's doubly hard right. uh, in government. Um, so there's been this lull. and you know i've I've told companies, you know, use this lull. This is not, you know, the time to, you know, just put your compliance concerns aside because, you know, it's it's very much a situation where if you're not doing your regular compliance checks, if you're not doing monitoring, if you're not trying to figure out where the problems might arise, mm-hmm. that's all your employees are working remotely, mm-hmm. you know, you're losing an opportunity. Um, my kids always talk about how I, I, I'm railing them uh, against uh, procrastination. I know, I know I'm saying, oh, you know, we got to make sure that you don't procrastinate. And I, I say the same thing, you know, use the time wisely, you know, when there is a lull. Um, and you'll really get the benefit of that uh, later on when when that surge of resources actually is uh, comes to fruition. Perfect. That makes sense. And so, um, essentially, you're saying, you know, don't slack off everyone. This is not an opportunity to lay back. Is there anything else um, that you think um, uh, compliance officers should be focusing on right now with respect to bolstering their compliance programs and staying up to date with FCPA best practices? Sure. And I and I do think again, it's because of the pandemic. You know, there's this lack of oversight, um, supervision, you know, monitoring, a lack of guidance. You know, mm-hmm. you can't do the face-to-face FCPA training. You know, employees are, are more autonomous. And then there's just all this stress. People are worried about losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that the company is, is going to go under. 
Um, there's a disconnect from the workplace. There's all this perfect storm mm. of, of compliance issues. And prosecutors and regulators, you know, they're not going to give you a pass if you say, you know, well, you know, we're doing the best we can, um, you know, because they're going to hold the companies accountable. And so I think, you know, the two primary areas, and it's not going to come as any surprise, is because there's been all this stress to build up your businesses during the pandemic, new uh, business partners, they, the suppliers that you haven't worked with before, the customers that you haven't dealt with before, you're trying to woo them, you know, in order to save your business. Are you cutting corners? Are your employees cutting corners? You know, are they are they looking uh, away uh, from your compliance program for a second and saying, you know, I really need to think about how I can get this particular piece of business. And so I think that, you know, again, the due diligence requirements, looking at those, you know, reminding your employees, you know, what the rules are in terms of, you know, uh, compensating commissions, fees, um, you know, and thinking about engaging third-party researchers, you know, to really check out who these people, these new folks are that you're doing business. And then I guess the other area is, you know, the government funding that's been provided, you know, and making sure that if your company got some of that um, COVID funding, that that didn't get diverted for other purposes and looking at that. So, um, again, it's just not time to cut compliance resources, you know, and if you're, uh, you know, if your uh, CEO is looking, you know, ways to cut money, uh, cut funding and money, you know, compliance isn't where it should be cut at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm sure many compliance officers will agree with you there. Um, So one of the great things about working in private practice and uh, consultancy is you get to see um, a wide range of compliance programs of all of your different clients. Um, For those who are taking your advice and not being complacent and, in fact, using this as an opportunity perhaps to trailblaze, uh, what's something innovative that you've um, been uh, seeing a client do with their compliance program recently? So, you know, it's, it's, I don't get to go on site, you know, which mm. is a, a bummer. Um, one of my favorite things that I, I will always remember is uh, I went to a, um, it was a Japanese company and they had these amazing anime cartoons everywhere um, around their shredder, around their copier, you know, in the coffee room that, you know, you, I don't read Chinese, uh, Japanese, mm. but as I was looking at it, you know, you could feel, you could figure out what mm. exactly was going on in the picture. And they mm-hmm. were, they were so cute and they were so perfect that now that was, that's a great innovation. And the compliance manager hadn't told me that she was doing it. I wouldn't mm. have known about it had I not been on site, but I thought it was such a great way of building in, you know, in a, in a, you know, non-threatening kind of way, Mm -hmm. you know, a friendly, culturally appropriate uh, kind of way. I thought that was, that was great. I've seen a lot of folks introduce um, a compliance minute Mm -hmm. in their Zoom calls, you know, where I'm, I'm there as a, you know, a guest speaker, and they'll start the call, and you know, whereas before they might have a safety minute, mm-hmm. they'll have a compliance minute, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was was very. Um, I love that. Um, 
And then I've seen, you know, again, companies that are aware of sort of the ebb and flow Mm. of investigations and enforcement. Um, I've seen companies use this sort of delay and this kind of breather Mm. where they don't have, um, you know, the regulators sending out a million subpoenas. I've I've seen them use that time to conduct the gap analysis, you Mm -hmm. know, to do a refresh Mm-hmm. of their compliance programs, um, you know, because they've got a second to actually uh, mm. uh, take a moment to do that. And then again, you know, having the the announcements from, you know, the senior managers tone from the top, mm-hmm. you know, again, as, as you know, a, a crawler along the line of emails and things like that. Um, so, I, I I don't know. I mean, folks are, are doing the best that they can. And I think, mm-hmm. that they, you know, having a moment to kind of think about what they, how they want the compliance program um, mm-hmm. to work. And so that's, that's been uh, nice to see. Nice to see. Good. Well, just a sub question off the gap analysis. You know, there are a few different ways in which you can perform gap analysis. And I'm curious to understand, are you seeing them do it on their own? Are they engaging third parties to help them do reviews? How are they identifying those gaps at the moment? So, I mean, when I see it, it's Mm -hmm. it's usually because they've asked us to just Mm -hmm. take a quick look. Mm -hmm. And they want to, you know, there's either been a regulatory change that Mm -hmm. they want to make sure has been incorporated in, you know, throughout their compliance program Mm -hmm. if there's a need. Or if they want to make sure that their program is up to market. Mm -hmm. Um, And since we see every industry... Right. You know, and we're very familiar with the industry. We can compare and say, well, you know, most companies don't necessarily have, you know, a very complicated table of, you know, the, the gifts and hospitality that mm-hmm. are allowed. You know, they'll have, you know, general suggestions mm-hmm. or, you know, in your particular country, this is, you know, market is they want to know. Mm. CEO can spend this much, mm-hmm. you know, the line uh, employee can spend this much. It depends on what event it is, you know, and so they, they want very detailed and that's market practice. And so if you want to um, be level with market, mm. most companies would, would like to be level with market. They don't necessarily want to be the leader and they certainly mm. don't want to below market, be below market. Um, and so that's the kind of uh, analysis that we do. Mm. Um, and making sure that, you know, the company's compliance programs are going to withstand scrutiny, mm-hmm. um, you know, once the regulators get going, you know, mm-hmm. our, you know, obviously effective compliance programs are a huge benefit to the company, both in preventing the violations and then obviously at the end of the, the day mitigating any potential penalties. Most of the agencies will get some credit for that. Wonderful. So great benchmarking knowledge that you have to help out there. Um, And my final question for you, Wendy, is have new data privacy requirements changed the way you think about doing business recently? Yeah. And putting even putting aside COVID and putting aside Mm. the pandemic, the the laws that have been put in place recently on data privacy across the globe Mm. are going to be with us for a long time. Mm. And those are ones that are going to be very important and to understand how they're going to impact you. Um, 
what, and there's many different permutations um, across mm-hmm. the world. One good thing is the GDPR prepared all of us for that, mm-hmm. you know, and the mm-hmm. data restrictions in uh, the EU. One that we are dealing regularly with now is China. And China has had very strict and cascading restrictions mm. that they have been building up for years. Mm. I mean, we've dealt with the state secrets laws. Mm. We've dealt with cybersecurity, data security. Um, and now we have a privacy law that mm. was just recently introdu- uh, introduced, the personal information protection law, which was designed after the GDPR, Mm. um, that really looks after individual privacy and focusing on intrusions, Mm. commercial intrusions um, on uh, individuals' privacies. And so you're you're having to take all of those into account when you do an investigation and Mm. making sure that you've got the capacity and the capability and that you're thinking through how are you going to conduct that, you know, in China when you can't travel to China mm. um, right now? Hopefully by the uh, mid-December, we're hearing that there's going to be travel between Hong Kong and, and China. Mm. But, you know, making sure that you've got the resources um, to do those investigations and those document reviews in China on site and that you've complied with all of the different laws in order to be able to bring any of the documents, witnesses, interviews, whatever it is, you know, where you need to um, respond to any uh, internal investigation or or an external regulatory investigation. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you, Wendy. You are as impressive now as you were a decade ago and um, very grateful to have your knowledge shared with us and um, all the best for the remainder of the year. Take good care. Thank you, Mary. It's been a pleasure. Nice to see you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.